You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the LA International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in LA since 1989. You guys got me? All right, it's working. Sermon, Steve Lounsbury, I'm up. What a great service it's been. We have been here now uh, about a month, uh, you know, maybe three, three and a half weeks. We've arrived here in the West Side, and man, we, we are loving it. Uh, it's great to be with all of you. Um, what a great communion to hear from uh, Chris and Jenny, and, and I hate to say it, but I just found out that the Blancos are her, I, just, I didn't know, and I love them, and now I'm even more bummed they're leaving, because I would see more of them, but uh, we love you guys, great job, and um, it's just good to be together today, amen? Uh, good here to worship, uh, the year is, is off and running, and today is a big day for the, the city of LA. What a victory, it's kind of a refreshing thing, the, the New England Patriots are the old guard, and the... L.A. Rams are the new guard, right? We're, we're coming on, right? We're sort of the new era. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the game and seeing what transpires. But not only just this, this year, I'm looking forward to a, a, hopefully a, a number of years of victory where L.A. does some great things in the football world. Uh, somebody asked me earlier, who's my team? And I said, well, it's UCLA Bruin football team. And I really want them to be good, too. So we'll talk about that when college football season comes. But... Um, my, you know, I'm a Rams fan because I'm a homer. I like l- local teams. Uh, I'm a Laker fan. I'm even a Clipper fan, but I like the Lakers more. Uh, I like the Angels. I like the Dodgers. I mean, if you're an L.A. team, I like you, right? I like the Galaxy. Any, any soccer fans out there? Okay, okay. Uh, I'm a homer. So for the L.A. Ra- I even like the Chargers because they were the closest thing to home for a while. Now, up until 1985, I liked the Philadelphia Eagles because I lived in Pennsylvania. And so I was outside of Philly, and they made the Super Bowl in 1980. They lost, and of course they won just last year, which was amazing. And I didn't care because I'd become a Rams fan. So when they finally won, I was no longer really a fan. Um, it's great to be here today uh, worshiping. It's been encouraging. We're about to embark upon a two-month period uh, where, where Carrie and I and the rest of the staff are going to be getting with all our small groups throughout the city, just meeting with you. We want to know all of you. We don't. It's going to take me a while. I often talk that, um, you know, my RAM, you know, on a computer, if you have a lot of RAM, that's the random access memory, you can get a lot of stuff done. You can, you can multitask, right? And if you have a big hard drive, you can store a lot of information in there. So I have a big hard drive. I have a good memory. I can put stuff in there, and I, and I can dig stuff out from long ago. I have kind of a little bit of a photographic memory, but my RAM is, is low. Okay, ask anybody. I can easily be distracted. I can only do like one thing at a time. And I, my name recognition, until I kind of implant it into the hard drive, I have a hard time. So please be patient with me. I'm going to be working on that. But we want to know everyone in the church here connect with all of you. We're looking forward to really bonding. And uh, really, like uh, the math has said, things are set up in the church. I mean, uh, God has done incredible things through the Chows and Spass. And I really do feel a spirit of, of hopefulness and faithfulness from all of you uh, that, that we're, we're getting things where we need them to be. And, you know, we'll never arrive. We'll never arrive. At, wow, everything's perfect in the church. Just that's not how it works. It's always a process. Amen. I've been studying in a, in a class that I'm in about the Holy Spirit, and we've decided as a, as a staff that we would go into a, a series of studies uh, about the Holy Spirit, and I'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the title of today's lesson and sort of my, my springboard into it is the concept of flow, 
all right? The concept of flow. Now, flow is actually a very important thing in the world of athletics. If you've played sports, if you're in the flow, it means things are going the way you want, okay? Um, you remember uh, when the Lakers played the Celtics, uh, the seventh game, the last time that they won the title, Kobe wanted to win so bad. If you remember that, Kobe wanted to win the title so bad that he couldn't even make a shot. He was not in the flow, right? He tried to be in the flow. He worked hard. They ended up winning. But what happened is somebody else had to be in the flow. And one of the most least likely guys at that time was in the flow. And with a minute left, Ron Artest, who's now named Meta World Peace, he hit a three-point shot with a minute left, put us up by six points, made the game really unreachable. He was in the flow. Everybody's like, what are you doing? He's like, I got it. He was just, he was just, he was just, he believed. At that moment, he believed he was in the flow. And Kobe was very happy with that because he got his fifth ring. I have a story about not being in the flow, and it's one of my days. I did. I was a walk-on on the UCLA track team um, in 1986. Yes, a long time ago. And the track team band back then was amazing. Olympians everywhere on the team back then. And here's the thing. I walked on the team, and I was a decathlete. That's the ten events that you have to do. And I wasn't the greatest at any one event, but I could pole vault and I could high jump and I could do high hurdles. So I said, all right, I'll do it. And, and the coaches are like, all right, we have to have you in this one meet. We, we got to see your progress. And I never ran the high hurdles when I was in high school. So I had to learn it at UCLA. And in college for the men, they're really high. I mean, they're like, I'm six feet tall, but they basically they, I have to jump very high to get it. Most guys that hurdle, they're like six, five or they're high, they're tall. And um, so I had to do the 110 high hurdles. And at that meet, my, my, my dad was there, all my, my UCLA roommates, and they're like, oh, let's see how Steve's doing, how he's progressing in track. And, and uh, my girlfriend came, and they're all in the stands, and I had to run multiple events that day. But they called the, the, the event start for the 110 high, and I run over there, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to show them how good I am. And I took off running. And in the hurdles, you know, it's all about rhythm. If you don't have your rhythm, it's not going to go well. And so I, I hit the first hurdle, which is not good. Uh, and then I, that messed up my rhythm, so I hit the next hurdle even worse. Then the next one, I stutter-stepped, and I hit it with my foot, and I twirled around backwards like this. Mind you, this is a sprint. And I twirled around backwards in a sprint. So I was on, like, the seventh hurdle. Everyone else was done. And I was like, I was not in the flow. It just did not go. A lot of people quit when they hit a couple of hurdles if you're in the, the, the hurdles. I was like, I don't quit. I did not have the flow. And... You know, people were laughing at me in the stands, and I was like, oh. But my, I was looking at my dad, and he was like, kind of laughing. I'm like, Dad, what are you you're laughing at me? What are you doing? Suffice it to say, I stayed in there a little longer with track, but the coaches eventually said, you know, you're, you got into school for computer science engineering, not for track. I know you were a good high school athlete, and you can stay on the team. Hey, it's a public university. I could stay. there. If I wanted to put five hours a day... They're like, you might, you know, might consider it's not worth the, the sheer effort that you're putting in. I'm like, okay. So I moved on and that was, I, I ran one last uh, meet. I did a whole decathlon to say I'd completed a whole decathlon and that was sort of the end of my, my track career. I wasn't in the flow. But the thing is, the real flow of life we all want to be in. And the real flow we're going to talk about today, interestingly, the, the concept of flow is a concept that is strong even in psychology. A professor at Claremont uh, University, uh, I can't pronounce his name, complex name, but he says that flow in positive psychology is also known, we all hear this, as the idea of being in the zone. 
Um, it's the mental state of operation in which a person performing an activity is fully immersed in a feeling of energized, focused, full involvement and enjoyment in the process of the activity. In essence, flow is characterized by complete absorption in what one does and a resulting loss in one sense of space and time. When you're in the flow, things just happen, right? But we know as Christians that the ultimate flow of life is not a psychological situation, although it does have that component. The real flow is the Holy Spirit. We find a verse right here in John 7, verse 38, that says, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we ask right now that living waters would flow from within us. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to understand your word. We pray that you inspire us. Spirit, we ask that we could understand things that we maybe in the past have not understood. We ask that our emotions and our mind and our feelings are connected to you. And that you move us forward to bring you glory on this world. We pray, Father, for uh, your presence now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate flow. Now, the Holy Spirit is, in, in, in old ancient traditions of theology, it was known as the forgotten God because a lot of times people just didn't understand it. There's no direct theology of, of the Holy Spirit. Um, in, the, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit, but people weren't sure how to put that into the context of what it means to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit until the time of Jesus. And the truth is, the very understanding of the Holy Spirit has a flow to it. And here's what I mean by that. You're never going to completely comprehend God because if you could completely comprehend God, you'd be God. As soon as you get a little taste of understanding it, you get a little insight, something new's going to pop up. Another angle, another aspect. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now they flow together perfectly as one and yet somehow, miraculously, amazingly, they are each three. And this concept our brains can't quite comprehend. And therefore, God wants us to understand Him as best as possible as a trinity. And the Holy Spirit is part of that. And so Jesus says, when you believe in Him, rivers of flowing water, of living of living water will flow. Why? Because we get to know Jesus personally. We connect with Him. We see Him. He walked. He, he was human, 100% human, and 100% God at the same time. A mystery that we we can't quite grasp. And the mystery is also that you get to connect with that same power somehow through our faith and belief in Jesus. Living water begins to flow from within us. Amen. And so we're going to start a series on this idea of flow. And really it's the idea of the Holy Spirit. Today the title is Flow, Do You Have It? Flow. Do you have it? We want the flow in sports. If you play basketball, you know, when you're in the zone, you're hitting the shots. You know, if you're in certain sports today, I'm hoping that the Rams are in the flow. I'm hoping Jared Goff is this. Everything is a completion that, you know, that all the guys are playing up to their their highest potential and things go the way they want. That's what we're hoping for today. But my also my hope is that you are in the flow. You have the spirit flowing out of you, welling up to eternal life. We find a verse, another verse in the book of John, verse uh, 14 from chapter 4. It says, but anyone who drinks the water I give him 
will never be thirsty. In fact, the water I give him will become a spring of water in him. It will, and I used a, a different version, the, the reader's version. It says it will flow up into eternal life. We're talking about something that lasts for eternity. The true flow is just not winning a game in sport. The true flow is going to be winning the game of life, which is eternal life. And that's what we all want. Amen. We want to win that game. So we're going to also embark, and I want to kind of put before the congregation, the, the staff has talked through, uh, going through a series of studies. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit first, but we want to delve into the book of Luke over the coming months. Okay. And the book of Luke has many themes that are going to help us. And I know Luke, of course, wrote the book of Acts. And, and, and Ken was telling me how you guys preached on that last quarter. And so we're going to go back and look at the first part of, of Luke Acts, which is the book of Luke, where we get the whole story of Jesus. And we're going to, we're going to pull out of here for the first month uh, messages that have to do with the Holy Spirit. But it's rich in all kinds of other deep things that will inspire the congregation. So if you want to begin to read that in your quiet times, we're going to go through it on, on multiple levels. We're going to hit different things. Uh, it's a rich resource of faith building for all of us. Amen. So let's begin today in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, verse 4. All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 4. And we're going to read the account there of uh, Zechariah. And I don't know if you're familiar with him. But um, we're going to go back to where he is talked to by an angel. All right, so let's go to to Luke chapter 1. And actually, I'll begin in verse 4. As Luke says, he writes the book, So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And I'm not going to have all the verses on the screen, so please scroll down in your Bible or open up your actual Bible that you brought. uh, Or look off your neighbor if you don't have one, because these are the only verses from these these uh, 21 that I'm putting up there, but I do want you to see them. So please turn to it. Amen. So Luke chapter one, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke is going to give us an incredible account. And I hope you'll join us in this journey uh, over the coming months as we study the book of Luke. In verse five, he says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. They were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. Clearly, Zechariah had been praying for a miracle. That in their older age, that, you know, that this was in that culture a great embarrassment. Not only personally was it just a challenge, but it, it just meant he wasn't going to pass on his lineage. There, there was a huge social ramifications, not to mention emotional ramifications. He was praying for this to happen. And God heard him. He says in verse 14, he will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. 
He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Let's stop real quick on that. Wow. Okay, so now, I mean, that answers a lot of interesting questions. And then it creates a whole lot of questions. Life clearly begins before birth right there. God's going to put the Holy Spirit in the womb. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's born. The other thing about that is as a church, we are from the what we call restoration movement, churches of Christ. And we have really strong teachings on the Bible. We, we believe in the Bible. We hold the Bible. We have strong doctrinal teachings about it. Amen. And our teaching about the Holy Spirit, you know, we have some, some pretty clear little systems. The more I read, I'm like, wow, it's hard to fit them all into a system. This doesn't really fit into a system right here. He had the Holy Spirit before he was born. So I'm not going to start a new theological teaching necessarily in here. Okay. I'm going to leave that to some smarter people than me. But wow, I mean, we cannot put the Holy Spirit in a box or in a system. He's going to do some stuff that will blow our mind as he does right here. It says in verse 16 about John, it says, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. Wow. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What, what are a people that are prepared for the Lord? This verse says the parents' hearts are turned to the children. A people whose hearts care deeply about the children that they have. They not only just, hey, their, their, their future wealth and well-being, they care about their spiritual condition. That's what it says, right? That's what he's doing, preparing their hearts. And we have a, we have a great ministry. I, I want to commend the family ministry in here. Uh, I want to commend those that have worked in that. I know the masses have served in the youth. We, we got to do that more and more and more because that's the kind of heart that God wants us to have, that Jesus wants us to have, that the Spirit intends us to have. Amen? A heart for our children. So he goes on and says, Zechariah asked the angel... How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which came true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. What a story. Zechariah and his wife were really devout servants of God, both from, you know, uh, the, the lineage of priests. They, they, they served in the temple. They were very dutiful. When his time came, he was there. He performed the things he needed to do. Now, he was a faithful, it even says they were blameless and righteous. These were serious churchgoers. 
They went multiple times. They made midweek. They made devos. They made Sunday. They made all their small group meetings. They were awesome, right? They were, they were committed people. And yet, what happened? Zechariah didn't really believe, did he? The angel came, told him this incredible thing, and he didn't really believe. And he says, okay, you didn't believe, here's what's going to happen. You're not going to be able to talk anymore for a while. You're going to be unable to speak. You're not going to be able to say a word. He comes out and he can't, everybody's like, what's going on? And he does it immediately. He can't talk because he didn't believe. He didn't have the flow, did he? He didn't have the flow. So even though he was an incredible church attender, he believed in the Bible. At least he said he believed in the Bible. You know, we oftentimes doubt God. We just don't trust him and we get stuck. It can happen to us when we're 10 years in as, as a Christian, 20 years in, 30 years in. It can happen a year in. We get stuck. We start going through the motions. We're, we're, we're living because we do it because it's, it's a duty. And you know what? You should do what is right even though it's a duty. But God's asking for even more. He wants, he wants it to be not just a duty. He wants it to be something that's way more vibrant than that. And so the Holy Spirit knows that and the Holy Spirit wants that to happen. But He's going to make sure that there's something real inside of us. That there's a real faith inside all of us. You know, we oftentimes believe God can work, but we think He can work in other people's lives, not our own. And we give in to discouragement so easily. Ah, oh, it's so easy. You know, here's the thing. We're, we're fragile people, aren't we? As a preacher, I mean, we act like we're tough. You know, Todd and Ken and I and a lot of you guys preach up here. We act like we're tough. But let me tell you, you know, evidence has shown you need like 10, 10 positive things or that one negative thing is all you think about all day. If somebody comes and says, hey, you didn't, and, and by the way, you can say negative things if you need to. Tell me the truth. I want to hear it. But I'm here to, to tell you the truth. As humans, it's not just preachers, we are fragile. Sometimes just a look can discourage our whole day. I, I have to confess, sometimes, I, because I have this RAM issue, right, I get distracted easily, I might not notice you when you're standing there. I can really focus on one thing good, but I get distracted easily. If I do that to you, please be gracious with me. I hope it doesn't send you into a tumult of down, downward spiral of sadness if I don't hug you. I love hugging people, but a lot of times I'm distracted. And we can all be that way. We, we, we just, we can get down so easily. The littlest things. You know, things are never as bad as they seem, and things are never as good as they seem. You gotta stay steady in life. You gotta stay steady. When we moved here, it was a big move for my daughter Caitlin. She's a senior in high school, because she's transferring, you know, in the middle of her high school year, and I wasn't sure how she was gonna handle it. And when we first told her, like, that we, th- we were opening ourselves up to even the idea of coming, she was like, actually optimistic about it, thinking faithfully. This is, I think, back in October, we opened ourselves up to the idea of it. And um, she um, she was positive. But, you know, and so through it all, we were really amazed by how mature she was. But most people don't move the middle of their senior year that she'd gone to her whole entire high school life and, you know, integrated into the community and all that. And so I was concerned. And so she'd been doing incredible. And I, by the way, I asked her if I could share all this. So just so you know, I asked her if I could share all this. <laughs> she, she said yes. And... Um, 
and she was doing amazing. She loved the teens, and it was, things were going great. And, and yet, after a couple days of being here, she's like, okay, I'll put me back in my other school. I'm like, what? what? And she, she started, yeah, yeah, just go ahead and put me back, Dad. And all of a sudden, I realized, uh-oh, the meltdown is coming. You know how we can all melt down at times. We all get emotional at times. And she's 17, and, you know, she's way better than 14 now, okay? 14, woo, that was tough. And, uh, but she had her meltdown. And I was like, okay. She's like, Dad. And, and I had the option for her to go back. We could have had her do online at her old school. But I was like, hang, hang tight, hang tight, right? And then the emotions got strong, and she started talking. And it was like, okay, when are you? And I was like, I was like in a tornado. I was like, okay, is this going to end? And I was like, hold on, it's going to end, it's going to end. And I, I was I'm patting myself on the back. I was proud. I hung in there. The next day, she's like, yeah, I melted down. I'm fine. I'm really glad I'm here. I love the teens. I'm getting great friendships going with the girls. Uh, and she was doing, and she's doing awesome. I'm really, really thankful for that. The church is awesome. She loves that. Uh, what a blessing. But you got to hang in there. We can't get down so easily. It's, we get down so easily. We lose our flow so easily because we don't really believe. And that's the, the kind of the one point I want you to get is that real belief releases it. Real belief releases the flow, not just religious belief, not just religious acts and actions, but deep down, we got to have real belief in the things we stand for and the things we believe and what we do and why we do it. Now I want us to skip on down to Luke chapter one, verse 57. All right, let's go down to verse 57. All right. So real belief releases it in verse 57. I want to kind of bring it all full circle on what happens with Zechariah. It says he asked for a writing tab. Like, so I'm going to read it directly from the scriptures here. It says, let's go. Let's go down to verse 57 says when it was, I'm going to read it in context. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. So this is nine months after the part that we had just read earlier, right? Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. And they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. Now, now, real quick, this had been nine months. Are you saying all his friends hadn't already asked him this? Are you saying they hadn't discussed the vision with him? I'm sure they did. I mean, after he came out, he couldn't talk. He knew how to write. He's a super smart man. They had writing tablets. I'm sure he had been communicating. Here's what happened. Here's what the angel said. He's going to be named John. Here's what all the things he said about it. It's going to be incredible. You know, he probably said that the first month, right? It was probably really exciting. People get excited. This is nine months later. What happened? They all forgot. They all forgot what happened. Luckily, he didn't forget, right? But all his friends, sometimes our friends can be the worst people for our faith. Right? Now, that shouldn't be the case. We need to build each other's faith up. Hey, remember you told me, Zechariah, you're going to follow what God said? God said do it. Follow through. But they're like, ah, nobody's named that. Why? Of course you're going to name him after you. That's what everybody does. And they weren't helping them. We're going to be faithful friends, not friends who take away faith, right? So, and I'm not saying we are that, but we got to be careful. Let's be friends who build faith. So he takes a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, we don't know why it would astonish them when he already knew this. His name is John. 
Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wonderful, uh, wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His, fe- his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. He's flowing now. He's flowing now. And he has a whole preaching. There's a whole other sermon right after that. He finally had real belief. What is real belief? Real belief makes it flow. Real belief makes it flow. Real belief releases the Holy Spirit. But we a lot of times don't have the real thing. What is the real thing? It's always combined with some kind of action. You see that right there? We read in James 2 that our faith is made complete by what we do. The great heroes of faith, if you read, if you read the, uh, Hebrews 11, you find all the things that demonstrate their faith are these incredible acts of stepping out in faith and doing some amazing things. Real belief is combined with action and it brings the Holy Spirit in full power. You know, our baptisms are actions that say, I'm dying in the water of baptism and resurrecting to a new life. I believe Jesus died and resurrected. That's what's going to happen to me when I come out of that water. Amen. We're going to see one of those at UCLA ministry. Amen. Later this afternoon. And they're happening over and over and over in this church. And we need to see them happen over and over because that's real faith. Faith has changed lives. Faith is action. Faith is getting out there and serving the poor. That was incredible doing that on Martin Luther King Day. There's more to do too. That was a shocking experience. Meeting the needs and serving the poor. That was shocking. It made me go, we, we got, we got to figure out what to do. There's things to do. All of us in our hearts, the Spirit has been speaking to you, but to release that flow, you got to respond to it. Sharing our faith with others can release the flow. Talking to people about what we stand for releases the flow. But we got to have real belief. What do you really believe today? What do you really believe? What will you put yourself out there for? The Holy Spirit is already working in your life, amongst you, around you, with people. The Holy Spirit's working. But you know what happens is we so often just don't want to listen to it. We squelch Him. We don't respond to Him. And He's saying, you've got to listen. We believe as a congregation in being a disciple of Jesus. We believe as a congregation that surrendering your whole life your greatest time, your greatest talent, your greatest visions, your greatest heart is worth it. We believe as a congregation we've never arrived, and so we need you in our lives. We need one another. We've never arrived. We've never become the full magnitude of what Jesus wants us to be. We believe we need discipling and training from the Holy Spirit and one another. We believe in that. We believe Jesus came, and he wants the whole world to know what he came to teach. We believe he's coming back. We believe these things deep enough to respond. And I want to challenge our church that God is working in your heart. You've got ideas. I've got a lot running through my mind. I love this part of the world. It's so cool. We're going to impact the inner city. We're going to impact the beach city. We're going to impact the rich. We're going to impact the poor. We're going to impact people from every walk of life. God is already speaking to you. 
just like he did to Zechariah. But are you skeptical that it's him talking? He'll speak to you through people, circumstances, the word of God, the Holy Spirit is amongst us. And he wants to speak. We got to believe it. I want to challenge us to believe it like never before. Let's believe it. So we as a West Side Church will flow to the glory of God. Amen. Love you guys. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.